Good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you guys. I am glad the single-digit temperatures and the snow did not stop you from being here today. Actually, I, I just checked a few minutes ago. We're up to 15 degrees now. So time to break out the flip-flops. Now, if you're watching online today, we are glad that you joined us, uh, glad you can do that in, in that way. But I have to say, I love being here in person on Sunday mornings. Uh, I love it when the church gathers for worship. Uh, right now, we're in a series called We Are the Church. And this is our main theme for 2024. This theme reminds us of our identity. We don't just go to church. We are the church. This theme is also a declaration and a call to action. We're not playing games here. We're going to be the church that God calls us to be. We will follow where Jesus leads. And so this morning, as we continue our journey, we're going to talk about the relationships we have with each other inside the church. And this is a foundational issue because we are relational beings. That's how God created us. And that makes sense because he is a relational God. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are, number one, to love God, and number two, love people. So both of those commandments are about relationships. So uh, let me ask you this. When it comes to that second commandment, love people, how are things going for you right now, specifically at church? Now, if you're new to Plum Creek, this may not apply to you yet, but if you've been here a while, what would you say? Here at our church, do you have relationships with people who love you deeply and know you deeply? Are you connecting with others on a, on a soul level? Or would you say, actually, I feel kind of disconnected right now. I, I feel a little isolated. To be honest, this is a challenging topic for me, partly because of my personality. See, here's the thing. I love people deeply and sincerely, but I've come to accept the fact that I am, by nature, an introvert. Now, I came to that conclusion several years ago when I heard someone explain the difference between introverts and extroverts. And they said it like this. They said, think about what energizes you and fills your tank. If, if you're energized by being with people, you're probably an extrovert. But on the other side, if, if you get recharged by being alone or maybe just being with your own family, you're probably an introvert. And when I heard that, I thought, well, there's no question. I'm an introvert. So let's do a quick personality poll here. By a show of hands, how many of you would say that overall you're mostly an extrovert? <laughs> yeah. So these are the party people right here. These are the guys you want to invite to karaoke night. Now, how about this? How many of you would say overall I tend to be an introvert? These are my people right here. And let, let's just go a little bit deeper. How many of you would say you tend to be an introvert, but you did not raise your hand just now because you're too much of an introvert? Now, these would really be my people. That's exactly what I would do. And of course, there's 
absolutely nothing wrong with being an introvert or an extrovert. God wired us all in different ways. That's, that's fine. That's a good thing. However, when we think about this goal of building strong relationships within the church, we need to remember that every personality comes with its own advantages and disadvantages. So uh, think about it. What are the strengths and weaknesses that come with your specific personality? Maybe you're a life-of-the-party kind of person, and people just love to be around you. That's a strength. But maybe you dominate conversations, and you're not the best listener. That's a weakness. Or maybe you're an introvert, and you can keep your emotions in check, but maybe you miss out on new friendships because you kind of hold people at arm's length. Well, whatever your personality may be, here's the bottom line. If we always do what comes naturally, we won't build the kind of community that God wants to see in the church. But that's the point of this series. Followers of Jesus, we don't settle for what comes naturally. We follow where God leads. We let him work through us so that we can become who he wants us to be. Now, in this series, we're, we're looking at the early church in the book of Acts, and we're asking God to help us be the church that Jesus established. The church that Jesus established is a dynamic, world-changing body of believers. There we go. A dynamic, world-changing body of believers who bring glory to God by making disciples and by expanding his kingdom. That's the pattern that we see in the New Testament. Last week, Jared read several passages that tell the story about the beginning of the church. And by the way, Jared did a great job with that sermon. But uh, just a quick review. In Acts chapter 2, the church began with a sudden explosion. The apostle Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he preached a powerful sermon. And 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus, and they were all baptized on that same day. And right away, these new Christians formed a community that was unlike anything the world had ever seen. And we get a great description of this community in a passage that we've read a couple times in this series already. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. So let's read that again. Acts 2, starting with verse 42. They, the earliest Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, in this series, we've looked at this passage and we've identified three important characteristics of the early church. And we're using a model that helps us see these characteristics very clearly. The model is called the Great Commission Engine. And as many of you know, the Great Commission is the task that Jesus gave his followers shortly before he left this world. He told his disciples to go out and make more disciples of all nations. God's plan is to use the church 
to accomplish that task, that mission. And for that to happen, the church needs to be strong in these three areas. We call them the three pistons of the Great Commission engine. Piston number one is the gathering. Uh, we, we see all three of these in, in the passage that uh, we just read. The gathering, the, the early Christians, they met together. They worshiped together in places like the temple courts. Piston two is community. These early Christians, they, they built strong relationships, a strong community. They hung out in each other's homes. They ate together. They shared life together. And then piston three is surrendered living. We, we see that uh, they <laughs> sacrificed their time and their talents and their treasure to help take care of each other and then also to reach out and show God's love outside the church. And as these three pistons were firing, many lost people came home to Jesus. And here at Plum Creek, we, we call these lost people our ones your one is someone you know who needs to know Jesus, and, and we all have more than one one. But that, that phrase, your one, it, it, it's a reference to the story that Jesus told about the lost sheep, that one sheep that needed to come home. But one more thing here, uh, we need to notice that in the early church, this engine, it did not run on brilliant strategy or even hard work. This engine was powered by prayer and the Holy Spirit. Uh, that, <laughs> the last verse there, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now today we're focusing on piston two of this engine, community. And to do that, let's go back to the first verse in that paragraph, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So these early followers of Christ were devoted to certain habits. They weren't casual about these things. They were devoted. And one of the things they were devoted to was fellowship. So what exactly is fellowship? Well, if you grew up going to church, you might remember a special room in the church building that was called what? The fellowship hall. And what was the purpose of the fellowship hall? Well, in my experience, the fellowship hall was mainly a place for potluck dinners. It was a place for fried chicken and green bean casserole and jello salad. And hey, don't get me wrong, I love a good potluck, but that's not what we're talking about here in Acts 2. The word fellowship, it has a much deeper meaning. Last week, Jared gave you a Greek word that describes piston one. The word is ecclesia. And you might remember, when you see the word church in the New Testament, the word church is usually translated from this Greek word, ecclesia. And that word refers to a gathering or an assembly of people. So in a biblical sense, church is not a place, a building. It, it's not a meeting that you go to. Church is a gathering of people who have been called out, set apart by God for His purpose. So that's piston one, but we also have a Greek word for piston two, and it's right here in Acts 2.42. Fellowship is translated from the Greek word koinonia. This is a powerful concept. Koinonia appears about 30 times in the New Testament, and here's a basic definition. Koinonia is a close association between persons. 
It's a community that shares life together like a family. And you know, it's interesting that koinonia shows up on this list of things the early Christians were devoted to. It's right up there with the apostles' teaching. It's right up there with prayer and the Lord's Supper. But that really shouldn't be a surprise. It makes sense because koinonia is exactly what Jesus expected from his followers. Over in the Gospel of John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, when Jesus tells his disciples to love one another, he's not talking about a convenient, from a distance kind of love. He's not talking about getting together for a one-hour worship service every week, um, basically being polite to each other before and after we sit in rows and sing a few songs and listen to a sermon. No, Jesus clearly expects much more than that. He expects koinonia. It's a community where we encourage each other and help each other and challenge each other. And, you know, it's hard to do those things from a distance, isn't it? It's also hard to do those things for hundreds and hundreds of people. Our Sunday morning gathering, it's important, but it's not enough. This week, a friend of mine told me something they used to say at his old church. Uh, They said, what happens on Sunday morning is not really fellowship. It's more like hellowship. (laughs) Because we can say hello to each other on Sunday morning when somebody comes up to you and asks how you're doing. Yeah, you can say, doing fine, been busy. I'm living the dream. You know, if you keep it short, it it works. But it's hard to go into a lot of detail, isn't it? And that's okay. We just don't have the time or the bandwidth to build those deep relationships in the large group gathering. But because of that, God designed the church to be a larger community that's broken down into smaller communities. And in these smaller communities, that's where we can show the rest of the world what real love is. Is about. Now, there are two layers to this koinonia. First, Christians are called into community with Christ. This is the fellowship between you and Jesus. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. That verse says, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So that word fellowship there, you know what that is, right? That's translated from koinonia. It's true community with Jesus, true oneness with God himself. And once upon a time, we had community with God. Unfortunately, though, we all sinned against God. And with our sin, we broke that community. We destroyed it. But then God looked at us and he said, I can't stand the thought of being separated from you forever. And despite the fact that we flat out rebelled against him, God did whatever it took to bring us back. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he paid the penalty for our sin. And through Jesus, God calls us back into fellowship with him. That is a mind-blowing truth. But that's just the first layer of this community. Christians are also called into community 
with each other. Once we've been united with Christ, we're united with each other. That's part of the mystery of the Lord's Supper. Have you ever thought about the word communion? The word communion is actually a mashup of two different words, common and union. Communion. And I I love that. Communion is not just me and Jesus. It's me and you and Jesus. We're united with Christ together. That's what we have in common. You know, it might be that outside of church, we would never hang out together. But here we are. We have Jesus in common. We see that connection in the gathering, but that connection is also supposed to extend into everyday life. Check out this description, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, The Apostle Paul says, if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That's true community. Strong relationships where we support each other and we celebrate with each other. And this is what every member of Plum Creek should experience, this right here. But that description doesn't always match the reality. Not just at Plum Creek, but in pretty much any church. Because we resist that a little bit. We don't always pursue these kinds of relationships. We're not always willing to connect. But why is that? Why would we avoid connecting? Well, there are lots of possible reasons, right? First, it might seem like you're just too busy. You're like, hey, I can give you Sunday morning, but that's all. And then a lot of weeks, I can't even give you that, which is different than early Christians who were devoted to fellowship. Another reason we avoid connecting is that true community, it can be uncomfortable, Uh, The truth is, a a lot of us don't really like being vulnerable, especially guys. Uh, We'd rather just deal with our stuff on our own. Then sometimes we struggle to connect because we've been hurt. Maybe you've had a bad church experience in the past. Maybe uh, you were hurt by someone in your family. Or maybe you had a prior relationship that started out good, but then it turned out bad. And that kind of history makes it tough to trust people today. Finally, there's the fact that, in general, relationships just get messy. That's true outside of the church, and unfortunately, it's also true inside the church. In any close relationship, you eventually run into conflict. And man, that conflict can be exhausting. Sometimes... Connecting with other people, it's like trying to be friends with a porcupine. I was reading about porcupines this week. They are fascinating animals. Just one porcupine has about 30,000 quills. Somebody counted those, I guess. And by nature, uh, porcupines are solitary. When they meet other animals, they, they would rather just retreat. However, if a porcupine feels threatened, it will attack. Now, they don't shoot those quills. That's <laughs> kind of a myth that's been around. But really, they, they just turn around and back into their enemy. And when a quill enters the enemy's body, the microscopic barb will get embedded. And if it reaches a vital organ, the result can be fatal. Now, this is something I found really interesting. We have names for 
different groups of animals, right? Uh, what do you call a group of deer? A herd, that's right. What do you call a group of lions? A pride of lions. What do you call a group of porcupines? You know? It's called, a group of porcupines is called a prickle. <laughs> a prickle of porcupines. I don't know who came up with that word, but that was a really good choice. So think about this in the context of the church. How do you get close to prickly people without getting hurt? And what do you do when relationships get complicated? Well, it might be helpful to know that the Bible is not unrealistic here. God knows that building community, it's not easy. That's why we have verses like this one in Ephesians 4. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We need these instructions because relationships are hard. Why does Scripture tell us to be patient and bear with one another? It's because sometimes we're jerks. And why does Scripture tell us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, to fight for unity? It's because sometimes it would be a whole lot easier to cut and run, say, that's it, I'm out of here. But you know what? Even though koinonia gets messy, it's worth it. It's worth it. And why is that? Well, there's actually a long list of reasons, but I'll give you just two today. Here's reason number one. Community is worth it because God wants to bless you through others. Nobody wants to go through life alone. It's like that verse we read earlier. When you're suffering, you want somebody to be with you. You want someone to suffer with you. And then when something good happens in your life, you want someone there to celebrate with you. Throughout the New Testament, there are so many one another commands for the church. Here's one example. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That is huge. God showed us amazing grace, mercy, forgiveness, but then he calls us to show others that same grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And you know what that means? That means we don't have to put on a show at church. That, that means this should be the place where you can let your guard down, where, where people, they know you at your worst, but they don't turn away. They don't turn against you. Now, I'm not saying that we should come up here and tell everything to everybody, but I am saying that you can find just one person or a group of people you can trust and, and then be open and say, listen, I, I don't have it all together. And then when they see your brokenness and they still show you grace and acceptance, that opens the door to community. True koinonia. What an amazing gift. I'll give you one more, one another verse. Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I experienced that verse almost two weeks ago. 
I was at a small retreat with a group of ministers. Uh, there, there were just five of us. I was already friends with two of them. One was uh, just an acquaintance and one I had never met before. And at this retreat, we took turns telling our story. And in the schedule, uh, each one of us had a three-hour block of time to do that. And for an introvert like me, just talking about myself for three hours, that didn't sound like a lot of fun. But you know what? I needed that. I needed it more than I thought I did. Somewhere in the third hour of my story, I started to share the toughest things that I'm dealing with right now. In this case, I wasn't talking about the sin that I struggle with. There's definitely a time and a place for that. I was just talking about different parts of my life that feel really heavy. I'll be honest, I've been carrying some burdens lately. And these guys, they didn't really have solutions for me, but they did help me carry those burdens by being with me. When I got to the end of my story, those four guys, they gathered around me, and each one of them put a hand on my shoulder, and one at a time, they prayed over me. And I can't tell you how powerful that was. I can't tell you how encouraging that was. But I can tell you, that's what koinonia looks like. And this is part of the reason community is worth it, because God wants to bless you through others. But there's another side of this, and because you guys are sharp, you probably guessed. Community is worth it because God wants to bless others through you. His plan is that you not only receive those blessings, you also give those blessings to others. You show grace and forgiveness. You suffer with those who suffer. You rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes you're the one that gets prayed over, but sometimes you pray over someone else. And man, when we follow God's pattern for relationships, the church becomes a place like no other a place where you can truly belong, a place where you really share life together. And in that way, we can give the world a glimpse of God's love. And that's what everybody wants. Even people who say, I'm not really interested in church, they want that. They want to experience God's love. So if we get these relationships right, our ones will see it. They'll say, these guys are for real. They believe this stuff. So where do we go from here? How is God leading you today? What is your next step? Specifically here at church, who do you need to connect with relationally? And again, let's be realistic about this. You can't be deeply connected with everybody. Man, at Plum Creek, it's, it's It's hard to learn everybody's name, much less have community with everyone. But that's why small groups are so critical. Uh, Here at our church, there are lots of small groups that you can join. But if you're not in a life group right now, I want you to consider joining one. Because these groups are designed for the kind of fellowship we're talking about here. Now, most of our life groups, they start in September and they run through early May. But if you're not in a group yet, I have good news. We have two new life life groups that will start the first week of February. 
One of them will be here at church on Sunday nights. Uh, Stefan and Heather Sloan are the leaders of that one. And if you have middle school or high school students that are already coming to youth group, that might be a great fit for you. The other new group meets on Monday nights at the home of Kyle and Samantha Reinhardt. And if you've never been part of a group like this, uh, here's a quick overview. Most life groups are, are about 10 to 12 people. Uh, we meet in homes or here at the church. And we start by just, you know, hanging out, talking, laughing, catching up. Uh, a lot of groups have dinner or snacks together. And then we, we read the Bible together. We pray together. We share what's going on in our lives. Sometimes we, we ask for help. But it might be that the best thing about these life groups are, are what happens outside of the official meeting. For example, uh, several years ago, when my mom passed away, our life group gave us a magnolia tree. And we planted that magnolia tree in the backyard. And now, when I see that tree, I think about my mom, and I think about our life group, just about every time. That support means so much. And listen, again, I'm not saying this is easy. I mean, don't expect the relationship-building process to be completely smooth. If you tried a life group sometime in the past and it didn't click for whatever reason, don't give up. Try another group. Stick with it until you get connected. You can sign up for a life group by going to plumcreek.org slash smallgroups. And on that page, you'll see the new groups up at the top, and then you'll see a few more that still have space available. You could also go to the gathering area right after service, and you can sign up out there. Someone will help you with that. So that's one possible step, but your, your next step might be different. Maybe you have a kind of a strained relationship with someone at church right now. And you could show the love of Christ to that person by saying, I'm sorry, or I forgive you. Or maybe there's somebody in your life that just needs to hear that you love them, that you care. Or maybe you need to back up. Maybe you need to begin a life-changing relationship with Jesus. It's only through Jesus that we can learn to love like God loves. We have to experience his grace firsthand so that we can show that grace to others. I'm not sure what your next step is, but I hope you take it. Let's, let's remember, we are the church. We don't just go to church. We are the church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for inviting us into community with you through Jesus. Lord, that's what we needed the most. But we also need community with each other. So I thank you for the church, for this design that we do connect with each other, support each other, encourage each other. I pray that happens here at Plum Creek. I pray that that happens more and more with your church across the world, that others will see the love that we have for each other and then be drawn to you through that. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.